right. Hey, guys, welcome to the INC. I'm here today with Eric McGracken. Um, he is a lawyer who specializes in things related to injury and has a lot of ties to the mixed martial arts world. And I'll let him talk about his background a little more, which was actually my first question for you, Eric. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know it's pretty extensive, so take your time and go for it. Well, sure. Well, thanks, Julian. First, uh, appreciate you having me on here. Um, my background, I'm I'm a litigation lawyer, so I've been practicing for 20 years. And over the last 10 years, I've carved out part of my practice. It's not all that I do, but part of my practice uh, has specialized on dealing with MMA and combat sports regulatory issues. So helping people navigate the world of athletic commissions, whether it's doping exemptions, doping violations, appealing bout results, just, just that whole regulatory legal world that fighters, managers, and sometimes promoters have to navigate. I've just carved out a bit of a niche in helping folks deal with that world. And the other thing I've been doing recently I'm pretty proud of is a lot of volunteer work um, through the ABC, the Association of Boxing Commissions. So we helped form a fighters committee called the Athletes Voice Committee. And so uh, for the first time ever, there's a formal outlet for fighters to organize their voice and speak with regulators. And we're hoping to bring in some positive change to the regulation of the sport to serve the fighters' interests a little bit better. So that's been, you know, that's been a great project I've been involved with over the last year or two. Cool. Hey, you gave me two more good question ideas from hearing about your background. I was like, this is the first thing we have to talk about. So I was writing that down. And am I correct? Maybe I was misreading stuff that I read about you and the rules and stuff, but have you judged MMA or been involved in judging as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. So for the past 10 years, I've been a licensed judge for mixed martial arts, boxing and kickboxing. Uh, locally here, there's actually a pretty strong kickboxing scene, so I, I've probably judged more kickboxing bouts than anything else, but uh, my enjoyment of MMA is what got me into judging. So so just to tie this stuff together, years ago, MMA was illegal in Canada, and uh -huh. part of what started my, my writings, combat sports law, was following how the sport was getting legalized province by province. And when British Columbia pulled the trigger, I just got um, lined up with the commission and jumped through the licensing hoops I needed to become a judge. I wasn't the first judge, but I was probably in the first wave of people to get licensed as, as a judge. So, yeah, I do that in my spare time as well. Very cool. And what is Inspire Sports Victoria? Oh, so that's... Um, geez, I can go on a long tangent here. That's got nothing to do with combat sports, but it's... Okay. Uh, gymnastics gym i'm a minority owner in that so it's it's um long story short is my youngest son has a real passion for gymnastics and on i live on vancouver island in victoria canada and in this city there wasn't a single gym that had a men's competitive team so you could do recreation gymnastics and you know sort of again long story short I, I did everything I could to try to find an opportunity for him and it didn't exist. So we just ended up opening our own gym and it's, it's, um, it's done very well. So I'm actually very proud of, of how, um, you know, how much it sort of served that community need. That's really cool. Yeah. I've actually been to Victoria Island once I took the ferry to Nanaimo. Um, we went all the way out to Tofino. 
So nice. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with the area. It's an interesting place. I saw some wild seals, which I thought was really cool. Or maybe it was otters. Can't even tell the difference when they're just like a head bobbing, but that was awesome. A lot of, lot of wildlife in the waters out here. Like it's, it's a beautiful corner of the world. Absolutely. Um, okay. Back on this. So let's jump right into it. You really got me. This is like one of the questions you reminded me that we should talk about. Let's talk about the sketchy judging. I feel like they were a few in 2022, but 2023 is, I know we're only end of May now. So, you know, almost halfway through it's the year of sketchy judging. I should have come prepared. I don't have any of the fights off the top of my head, but there have been what maybe at least five fights that I think 99% of viewers, if not a hundred agreed went the wrong way, I believe at at this point in the year. So what's with that? Yeah. One of, so, so I'm just going to try to th- choose my words carefully here. A lot of times <clears throat> when there's a controversial judging outcome, it's not that controversial. You have close rounds and you have people that think the close rounds went different ways. But when you're sitting in that judge's chair, you score what you see. And one of the reasons why you have three judges is from three different angles, you might see things a little bit differently. So there's nothing inherently wrong with one judge seeing it differently than another judge and you know a lot of people are very quick to pull the trigger of oh it's corrupt or it's inept or it's whatever it is but oftentimes controversial decisions can be explained now that being said there's genuinely dead wrong decisions out there they do occur sometimes and one of you know one of the problems in the sport is this sort of ties into the regulatory side of things. Commissions don't like admitting they're wrong. So the commission oversees the event, they license the judges, they put the officials there. And if somebody gets it dead wrong, there's not really a whole lot of accountability. You don't get the judges going on record saying anything usually. You don't get the commission um, straight talking to the public or the media about it. And there's there's a bit of lack of transparency and a bit of lack of accountability. The other problem is fighters basically have no right of appeal if judges get it dead wrong. Like if you could show that there's a completely dead wrong decision that cannot be justified, and it's not the norm, but it happens sometimes, fighters don't have the right to appeal that they they, they, fighters could basically only appeal a decision if the scorekeeper does the math wrong so all the judges give the cards and the guy forgets how to add nine and ten and gets it wrong that could be changed on appeal and corruption if you could prove there's a legitimately corruption or collusion or a crime occurring fighters have the right to challenge it but there's no room for ineptitude like if you have legitimately inept judging egregiously dead wrong judges fighters don't have the right to challenge that and that's one thing i'd like to see change i'd like to see athletic commissions not not create sort of carte blanche appeal standards because Anybody who loses, you don't want them appealing and and sort of dragging it out. But if there's a dead wrong appeal, if there's a really high standard fighters could meet, you want to open the door for some of these decisions to be overturned. I'm not sure if that answers your question or not, but that's that's sort of my rambling view on judging controversy. No, you're giving a much more nuanced opinion than the way I presented the question. And just hearing you say that, it probably wasn't even five fights. It's probably like two that there was a strong consensus went the wrong way, maybe three now that I'm thinking about it. And then I'm kind of jumbling in some of the closer ones. I think Suhudo and Aljo 
is not controversial. Like I, I do have Aljo in terms of like the whole. If you do, which you don't, but if you do score the whole fight as a whole, I see him kind of winning more of that fight. But I see Henry having so many decisive moments too. So it's 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 tough. I don't know if there are any if there's any kind of changes you would think of being able to make. I mean, the ten nine system is so difficult when things are close because. Uh, not not every 10 10 9 round is the same right and it's almost like we don't give out the 10 eights enough but then how do you have a standard of taking away two points so it's 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 very difficult to judge some of these fights yeah yeah you know, the one thing i would say is mma judging like even though people like to um you know everybody's on social media and people voice their opinions but uh, MMA judging now is probably better than it's ever been any time in the sports history. Like, I think you have more consistency and you have better qualified officials doing their job. If you if you just sort of look at it from a big picture, it's always been moving in the right direction, even though there's still further room for improvement. I don't know that you have to overhaul the scoring system. I think it just continues to come down to quality of officials and quality of continuing education. Colorado just published um, some data. I, I'm actually waiting for it to come in on an open records request I did, but two years ago, Colorado started having mandatory continuing education for their licensed judges. So you get your license, but that's not good enough. As you're doing your job, they force you to attend courses or whatever it is that they're doing. Uh -huh. And they found the amount of split decisions went down threefold after that brought in so so they got like a hell of a lot more consistency in both boxing and in mma uh and so bringing good judges on board having good licensing standards holding them accountable and having them continue to get better at their craft all of that's going to serve fighters but my, my other rant applies too i still think you need some remedy for fighters that are genuinely ripped off by a a very poor outcome it shouldn't just be that's the way it is and you're stuck with it better luck next time i think there should be some kind of an objective appeal standard that could be brought in interesting yeah um it's tough because it's you get so opinionated when you see a decision go wrong and then when you do discuss the solutions like right now it's like well you know what else could we really be doing different and a lot of these are pretty close fights so yeah, yeah and, and, and actually but you know the other thing i would just say as well is a lot of people when they're criticizing about result they're not really judging it right like whether whether they know the rules or not um usually when you're watching casually and you're tweeting your opinion and you're you know drinking a beer or eating a snack and talking to your kids or talking to your friends, you're not really scoring the fight. Like if you sit down there and try to score a round, it's a mentally exhausting process. You have to sit down there and watch every second of that fight. Yeah. I could tell you when I, when I'm done a night of judging, I'm wiped out. Like it's, it's as hard as a day in court. Like your, your wow. mind is just focused nonstop. And so when I'm casually watching on TV, I'd be lying if I said, I'm honestly judging most rounds i might tweet out my opinion as well every now and then but i know i'm distracted half the time i'm watching it so um you know when when folks do criticize oftentimes it's not from genuinely watching the round and half the time you got people that put money on the fight and they're not happy that you know they lost they lost their bet or whatever it is but again 
there is room for improvement. And, and I like seeing all the people sort of chipping away, trying to make the sport a little bit better. Like Andy Foster in California does a brilliant job about once every month or two, they host a online uh, forum where they watch the most controversial rounds and try to form some consensus by the judges. So judges from all across wow. the U.S., Canada, overseas hop on there. And officials really are trying to get more consistent and get better in terms of what's what's a 10-8, right? What's a 10-7? Uh, if there's no damage going on, but it's a pretty dominant round, are you going to give a 10-8? What consistency could we bring into it just so it's not at the whim of, some official and and the sport is slowly chipping away at that stuff as opposed to you go to 15 years ago you might have more disagreement and even who won a basic round right like now the criteria are well entrenched and well understood so so the sport is moving in the right direction yeah that's good i mean i i only really get too opinionated about it when i watch i don't know if you watch a lot of mma youtube but there's a guy called the weasel who does predictions and breakdowns and stuff and what he'll do whenever there's a controversial one is he'll take the fight. He'll tell you, all right, here's the deal. Five round fight, clear round one, clear round five. These are the three rounds that are very close. And then he'll really go um, score every single strike, take down things like that. And he'll try to lay it out. Like this guy landed 10, you know, powerful strikes, whatever he calls it, 12 medium, three light. And he scores it that way. The takedowns control time. Um, and then he'll kind of tell you, like he broke down the second Colby and Usman fight and he had Colby winning but of course you're not the judge there watching that video 24 hours later you're the judge watching the fight there live and you don't have any time I was I, I, this leads into my next question and you're not a UFC judge of course but do do you know or have you personally had access to any kind of data when you're scoring a fight or is it really just you're watching it and that's it no, yeah. So there is no data. You don't get stats, right? And stats are actually very deceptive. Like stats are just mm -hmm. some guy clicking the button saying that's a significant yeah. strike. That's a significant strike. Well, what you're looking for, I put out a really short TikTok video recently, just, just really dumbing this down. But what you're looking for is not volume of offense. You're looking for the effect of the offense. So with legal maneuvers, whether it's slams, takedowns, punches, any kind of strikes, any kind of grappling, who's damaged their opponent more, right? Who's done the most damage? And that's that's the sort of subtlety you're looking for. And oftentimes, you'll get those stats to look, fighter A had, you know, 10 more strikes that round than fighter B, but so what? If fighter B rocked them or leg kick them so hard that the dude switched stances. Now he's a southpaw and he's hobbling around there, but he landed a couple pitter-patter shots and the numbers are higher for one and the other. It doesn't really matter. Like more volume could make a difference, but, but you don't have stats when you're judging and stats are often very misleading. So you're really looking at who the, the rules use the word impact, but impact is just code for damage. It really is which guy got damaged more in that round. And if you understand the sports well enough and, and you've been involved in watching this long enough, you get a really good sense of who's getting impacted and who isn't getting impacted. And that's, you know, judges when they're doing their job, that's that's the fundamental thing they're looking for in any given round. So not taking anything away from stats. I think they do tell a good story and they do have value. But but when you're judging in lifetime, you're not counting strikes. I, I, I think that's sort of the wrong way to go about it. You're really looking for the impact of what's happening in any given round.
Right. Yeah, the videos I'm referring to, he's not referring to the stats. It's really breaking down what he sees as the bigger moments and the more significant strikes, which he always says is subjective and it's post facto. So it is kind of crazy that, you know, we don't have it, it's it's unfortunate. Last thing I want to talk about with the judging, um, I believe 99% sure because it's only PFL that does this kind of crazy stuff. But I believe it was PFL that I saw a couple weeks ago had an AI judge scoring thing that they would just show on the screen and after every round i believe and then after every fight definitely it would say like they had the announcers and i believe maybe some expert panel and then they had the ai and i watched maybe half that card and the ai nailed it i mean there weren't any like crazy close fights there's maybe one that was a little closer but i thought that was really interesting just thought i would bring that up see what you thought yeah no it's neat like technology is always interesting and and yeah give it trial runs and see how, how it goes. Right. Like, you know, like I watch baseball and you got that little batter box there and the ump is calling balls and strikes that aren't balls and strikes. And you say, Hey, that technology seems pretty good. Like if you want to yeah. be objective and fair, there's a way to do it. Um, I'm not familiar with the AI and PFL. I don't think I've watched those cards, so I don't know. Like I, I have no informed opinion on it, but I'm always open-minded. Like if you could make the sport better from an objective functioning technology that's battle tested and it really gets it right no reason not to explore things like that yeah i thought it was super interesting i recommend pfl to all the fans watching i mean um in terms of the production and the things they do and they have some different rules and stuff i think it's really interesting and they're making huge moves lately too um the so the next thing i want to move on to you touched briefly on it when you were saying um someone people having money on it and that's swaying their opinion of who won the fight um, and I don't know how much this ties into your legal expertise, but what do you think about, let's say, the whole James Krause thing? And there's been some other people, I believe, involved with gambling relating to, you know, being deeply involved in the sport and being tied to the fighters and having insider knowledge and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't get into the legal sort of nitty gritty of, of gambling law. I'm out of I'm out of my lane there. But just as a lay opinion. It just speaks to sports integrity, right? Like you got an insider with insider knowledge betting on things, whether his athletes are competing and he might know something the public doesn't know. It, it does speak to the integrity of the sport. And so that's why some gambling regulators, I know in Canada, a couple provinces shut it down. I think New Jersey shut it down for a little while. And so the UFC had to respond very quickly, right? They all of a sudden came up with their new gambling policy. But yeah, it could it could really quickly kill the public's confidence in the integrity of the bouts when you have insider gambling on it. So the UFC has to be very smart about it. There's a lot of money obviously being made from gambling sponsorships. And I don't know all the business deals, but obviously big money uh, goes hand in hand with the UFC. So they don't want to rock that boat. So they come down hard on James. I don't even know what the the end result of that is. Like I thought, I thought there was some kind of a federal investigation there. I don't Ongoing. know if there was charges pending against anybody, but but yeah, that guy definitely became uh, the scapegoat for the problem that probably goes well beyond him. So yeah, yeah, see what the aftermath of that is. But I know the I know the regulators or the the, the provinces and states that banned UFC gambling have already lifted it. So whatever you know, whatever sort of surface level moves the UFC did were good enough for those jurisdictions to let the public gamble on their bouts again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, do you know much about, I, I'm forgetting the name here. There's like some guy related to a foreign dictator that a lot of fighters are involved with. Chechen, I believe. I um, 
Yeah, exactly. What do you think about all the foreign money potentially starting to influence the sport? Yeah, and so again, I won't really know the nitty gritty of what's going on there, but this guy, this guy's a war criminal, right? And so why any athlete from the U.S. is getting associated with him, either from bad management advice or whatever, like I, I just don't understand how anybody is going to cozy up to this human rights violator and war criminal. Uh, there's there's U.S. federal sanctions through through. Um, I forget the name of it, but there's legislation in the U.S. where they could basically track down on uh, bad actors. And his fight club, I think it was called Ahmad Fight Club, something like that. And basically anything associated with him is blacklisted, but you still have you still have some athletes, even UFC athletes, cozying up to this guy. Like that's just bad judgment. And, and obviously money must be involved. So yeah, you know, hopefully people... You know, money is a strong motivator, but people still need to have a good moral compass when they're when they're making these decisions. It, it reflects poorly on the sport for sure when when you get people tied up with this guy. Right. And I, th I thought I had heard something about him wanting like results overturned and things like that. And, you know, when powerful people with a lot of money want things like that, you know, it could definitely not be going down the right path. And I don't know if it's tied in or not, but the WWE or what is it? It's the same company that owns the UFC purchased the WWE, right? I thought that was kind of strange and interesting, and I, I didn't. I just thought it was weird. Yeah, no, that's right. Like, like I'm not sure if the deal's a hundred percent done. It's been announced, and sometime this year it, it'll it'll come to fruition. But that's right. They're going to be doing business under one umbrella company. They just came out with the name too. I think it was like I forget. It was like TKO or something like that. But but um yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if one's going to influence the other the reality is pro wrestling and mma have always been closer uh tied to each other than a lot of mma fans alone like to admit but you know like you look at the pride era and you look at mm -hmm. whether it's the belts whether it's the promoter owning the belt the contracts by the way the way the way the ufc one of the ways the ufc at least came into their strong market position was following that pro wrestling WWE model where they control the title and they control who fights for the title. And they want to make sure those people are going to uh, be locked into a long-term contract before they do fight for that, for that title. So the pro wrestling business and pro MMA have always been cousins at the very least. Like there's a lot of overlap between those businesses. So I think those two being under one umbrella just makes a very powerful company much more powerful. So what are your opinions then on fighter pay? And have you ever been involved in anything like uh, unions and stuff like that for fighters or anything relating to better pay? Well, I'm a strong supporter of the fighters' various efforts to organize and, and get better pay. And, and so by fighter pay... All I'm talking about, it's not a dollar number. I'm talking about a percentage of the revenues, right? So in, in most major league sports, you get the players' unions, and they negotiate that it's basically a 50-50 split. 50% of the revenues are going to go to the athletes. In the UFC, the latest data that Bloody Elbow put out, and this from public filings, they're not making this stuff up, it's about 13% is going to the fighters. So that's a really gross disparity. and 
the efforts to change that, like you've got the Mixed Martial Arts Fighters Association, and that group does really good work. So they're behind the antitrust lawsuit, uh, where they basically claim the UFC is a monopoly and they want to break it up. And they're also behind the Alley Expansion Act lobbying. So they want the federal uh, government in the U.S. to give MMA fighters the same rights boxers have. I can get into that. Uh, you know, it's technical, but but basically that would do a lot of shaking up of the business and it would let the top fighters make a lot more money. Other efforts were forming an actual union where the fighters say we're actually employees, not contractors, and we could have a union. But none of those efforts have really taken off. So the MMAFA is the main group that's there and continues to do really good work. But whether it's fighters trying to unionize or whether it's joining the MMAFA, I, I support the fighters doing something to change the landscape because it is a David versus Goliath landscape. It's probably getting stronger in Goliath's favor in recent years. Like, you know, the UFC revenue split was maybe around 18%. Now it's dropping to 13%. That's bad news. So something has to give. Um, but, but yeah, I, I support it. I'm not formally involved in any kind of a union drive other than I'll educate any fighters that want to be educated about the benefits of it. And I'll lay out the options and I'll match make them to the right group. So I'll say, look, if you like, if you like what the MMA FA is doing, sign up with them, go there. Project Spearhead was one of the really good union drives. It, it, it I don't think it's active anymore, but when they were doing it, I was, um, trying to match up fighters with them as well, just to just to you know give them give them some more power when it comes to negotiating with the UFC speaking of negotiating with the UFC what do you think about how it all went down with Francis and Ganyu i mean I, you know before you even answer i personally believe that a lot and i'm a big baseball fan too you mentioned baseball um and this happened a lot with say Aaron Judge in the offseason and some of the bigger free agent guys who oh i'm going to sign with this team and he flies to San Francisco and in the end he re-signed with the Yankees and all of it or I'm trying to think of another good example. It's baseball related, but there was another one where it's like, why am I hearing that this guy wants to go to this team? Why is this in my newsfeed? His agent released it. It's not that some journalist, you know, has a breaking story. This information is given to them. So that's how the Nganu thing felt to me was we're seeing Nganu's can't put stuff in the media. We're seeing the UFC put stuff in the media. Um, so wh how, what do you think about how all of that played down kind of in the media? And as far as we know, with how he left and, you know, seems to have dropped the bag is what the meme has been. Well, he picked up the bag and ran with it. Like anybody who says he dropped the bag is nuts. And Ganu, and Ganu was like, it was a legendary move what he did. I mean, he he fought out what was a really underpaying contract. The UFC, like they always do, they, they say, hey, well, you're the champ, you're the man, or you're going to fight for the title. Here's a new contract, going to pay you a hell of a lot more money. You take the sure thing. And Nganu said, no, I'm going to fight this thing out and become a legitimate free agent. Almost nobody in this position does that. And he had a bum knee, right? He took that fight with Cyril Gan with a completely shredded knee, fought out the contract, won it, became a free agent, and got a massive contract from PFL, paying as much as the UFC would have paid, it's at least in the ballpark from, from what's been publicly released by the various sides, has the right to box. So he could go and take a boxing bout without the PFL there taking a cut the way the UFC did in the McGregor bout. And he's got a short-term contract. So he will have 
the right for free agency again. So Nganu has done everything right. The only talking points against him are coming straight from the UFC, right? And and they've got their own self-interest. So of course they're gonna do it. Like I don't never criticize a company for trying to make themselves look good. But at the end of the day, Nganu did something very historic. And it took great nerve to do what he did. Like he, he walked away from the sure thing to go into untested waters. He could have gotten wrecked by uh by by gone with that bad knee that he had, and then he'd be a far less valuable free agent. So he gambled and he won. And I've got nothing but respect for what he did. So good for him. I hope he I hope he could get a really, you know, big money fight. Uh he's the lineal champion. Right. The, the, you know, the UFC has got the UFC champion, John Jones, but Francis is the lineal MMA world heavyweight champion. You could trace his lineage back to UFC one and hoist Gracie. So I hope PFL finds a way to capitalize on that. Get him a good opponent. I'd like to see them cross promote. They should offer John Jones the bout. The UFC will duck it, right? They say Francis is ducking John Jones, but the only one who's not going to make the bout happen is the UFC. Francis will fight John Jones with a cross promotion. And I think from there, when the UFC declines that bout, which they will, they should offer it to the champion of one. They should go out to one uh, FC's heavyweight champion and say, okay, you're the next guy that's available. Do you guys want to cross promote it? Take, mm -hmm. take the lineal title. I think, I think they've got a lot of neat moves they could do right now that they've got Francis, but all the respect in the world to Francis. He, he did a good thing. That's such a great take. I haven't watched a lot of MMA um, podcasts recently, so I'm not sure what the kind of longer take is. Like Errol Helwani, I'm sure, is on Nganu's side, but I haven't really listened to that. I've just kind of seen the headlines and what is pushed to me in social media briefly as I scroll, and it's all been really negative. I think it's because, in terms of Nganu, I think it's because whenever a fighter leaves the UFC, it's so easy for the fans to be spun into that narrative of, oh, he didn't even sign with the UFC. He downgraded. He's going to fight lesser competition, get paid less. Not saying it's true, but that's how the media then spins it. It almost seems that the media is kind of on the, the organization side and not on the fighter side. So um great yeah, take well, well dana's got his charisma and he's good at what he does so he gets his sound bites out there and they've got so much media i don't want to say in their pocket but let's just say very friendly media so the the echo chamber is just massive like the ufc is so strong at controlling the narrative and then all of a sudden you get people without critically thinking this through they just parrot this narrative that's been spoon-fed to them and it's so hard for fighters to fight against it because you could say all the right things and have your right media appearances but but the mma uh echo chamber is so strong in the ufc's favor i think the new york times broke the nganu signing with pfl i actually love that move as well they just went right outside of the mma bubble and said let's go to let's go to the new york times so that was a brilliant move and i think i think his story just just the way he you know, as a refugee came to Europe and got into the sport and then ascended to the world title. And now that he's shaken things up here uh, as the UFC champion, now the independent lineal champion. And now what PFL and he are trying to do in Africa, just expanding into, into overseas markets. I think the Nganu story is far from done. I think that guy's going to actually continue to achieve some pretty historic things. So, so the, the news articles, I think in hindsight, we'll tell the real story. But yeah, that immediate UFC megaphone, it's tough to push back against that. 
Got it. Well, hey, I'm out of all my questions. It was awesome having you on, and I feel like we should have you on again when there's some good news that we should be discussing. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or shout out or anything? Uh, well, yeah, the only thing I'll say quickly is, so so with the Association of Boxing Commissions, we formed a fighters committee, athletes voice committee. It's, it's not a union. They're not there to negotiate with promoters, but uh, we're going to be there in Las Vegas this summer, and we've got some really cool initiatives we're presenting to the regulators, things that will better serve the athletes' interests. So uh, j just keep an eye on that story. Uh, first week of August, we're going to be presenting a handful of initiatives that uh, our, our group of people have been working hard to organize and get together. So just taking some baby steps to to make things better. But other, other than that, uh, folks could find me rambling on Twitter or my legal writings are at combatsportslaw.com. So that's maybe the only plugs I have to give. But uh, Julian, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, maybe we'll touch base after the conference. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Have a great day, man.